Let's just take a moment to read a passage from the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a non-Jewish or a Gentile follower of Jesus and a contemporary of Jesus. And in his written account of the life and teachings of Jesus, he included some details about his birth. So I just want to read a few paragraphs from this narrative. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It's an event that has come to be well-known literally around the globe, an event that still stirs wonder and awe and causes people to marvel about so many of the fascinating details surrounding this event. Among the most obvious is why, why would the God who created the cosmos choose to enter our world as a human infant, actually a fetus, in the womb of an impoverished girl in an obscure province under foreign occupation in a tiny, insignificant town that couldn't even accommodate him when it was time for him to be born. This is how God chose to become human. For the past 16 weeks here at Hope Community Church, we've been talking about what it means to be human. There seems to be a lot of conflicting ideas about this in our culture today. Christmas is, among other things, it is God showing us what it means to be human. 
And I wish we could explore all the details of his birth. You know, the scandal of a pregnancy out of wedlock, the, the shame their family most certainly endured, the economic disparity at the time between uh, the peasant population and the ruling elite, uh, the corruption and brutality of those in power, uh, and so many other details. I wish, I wish we had time to explore this narrative in greater depth. But, but just remember this one thing, that God chose to enter our world in what was one of the darkest times and places in human history. But what I want to focus on tonight is what Luke says about the shepherds. He describes how on the night Jesus was born, God sent a whole choir of angels. Actually, first he sent an angel, and that one angel quickly turned into a great company of heavenly hosts that God sent to announce the birth of his son. And what's interesting is that these angels were not sent to, you know, the, the, the religious people in the region. They weren't sent to priests or Sadducees or Pharisees. They weren't sent to kings or queens or princes or any government authority, not to the influential or the popular or the informed and enlightened, but, but to a group of shepherds watching over their sheep during the night. Why shepherds of all people? I mean, God could have zoomed out on this whole angelic proclamation so that a wider group of people could have gotten in on it. And we're told the shepherds were in the hills surrounding Bethlehem and Jerusalem is, is just, a, just down the road. So why not include the whole city of Jerusalem, the, the Judean capital at the time? Why not include all of them in this angelic broadcast? Why just the shepherds? After all, the angel said that his announcement was good news of great joy that would be for all people. So why not announce it to all people? Why restrict the angelic announcement just to a group of shepherds? Well, there's been a lot of speculation about that. And one relatively recent, very popular explanation is that the shepherds in those days were considered social outcasts. They had a bad reputation, they were filthy, they stank, they were vulgar and dishonest, they couldn't be trusted. Uh, some, some have even gone so far as to suggest that their testimony wasn't admissible in court because uh, they were so untrustworthy. Or, or that certain business establishment would hang signs outside their business saying, no shepherds allowed. So presumably, the reason that God specifically targeted shepherds with his angelic announcement was because God wanted to show how he came into the world for the lowest of the low, the, the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad, which in those days, so the argument goes, in those days would have been shepherds. And while it's true that, that God has in fact come for the worst of the worst and the baddest of the bad, there's actually virtually no historical support for the idea that shepherds had that uh, reputation in, in those days. And in fact, there is considerable amount of evidence to the contrary. Otherwise, why uh, in, in this passage we just read, when it says you know, that, that the shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, it's not likely people would have taken them seriously. Uh, they probably would have just dismissed them as, you know, maybe having had a little too much to drink, you know, a little too much eggnog on Christmas. I don't know. But Luke records that all who heard the shepherds were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. So the historical evidence actually points more to the probability that, that shepherding was actually an honored profession. 
it was all through the Old Testament times and it continued to be in Jesus' time. Uh, Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Uh, David was a shepherd. Jesus would himself often refer to himself as a shepherd. It was an honored profession, though clearly one of the least glamorous. It was a humble job for those of humble circumstances. It wasn't a particularly difficult job. Almost anybody could do it, though probably very few wanted to. It was, pretty, it was a pretty boring job. There was a lot of downtime. Most of your time was spent watching sheep eat grass, although you did have to be constantly on the alert to predators. Wolves, bears, and even lions were common in first century Israel. So, so shepherds had a lot of time on their hands, but at the same time, they always had to be on their guard. They, they were always watching and waiting, always alert. So, so maybe the reason God chose to send an, an angelic entourage to a bunch of shepherds is perhaps because they were the only ones for whom such an announcement wouldn't be an, would not be an interruption or, or an intrusion into their busy lives. Shepherding was not a profession for people who had an ambition to be somebody. And I'm sure that what is true of most people today was true of most people back then. We all want to be somebody. So we fill our lives with pursuits and ambitions and endeavors and activities, all with the goal of being somebody. Shepherding was not a profession for people who had the ambition to be somebody. And maybe... Maybe we're, we're all just a little confused about what it actually means to be somebody. See, the reality is, God says that you already are somebody. And no one can change that. No one can add to it or take anything from it. And I think we easily forget that, which, which I think points to a universal human problem. Here's a universal human problem. We have all forgotten who we are. See, we, we want to be gods, you know. We want to be God. We pretend to be gods, self-created, self-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful beings capable of sustaining our existence on our own. We, pre we, we pretend to be something we're not because we've forgotten who we really are. We strive to be somebody, to be affirmed, to be recognized and applauded by others, others, other people who, who themselves are also desperately trying to be somebody because we've forgotten who we are, that we are God's children, made in his image and likeness, unique and one-of-a-kind expressions of his love and creative goodness, and our incalculable value comes not from our own achievements or the affirmation of others, but from God alone, which is maybe why the angels appeared to the shepherds, because the shepherds, shepherding was not a profession for people who were trying to be somebody for people pretending to be something or someone they weren't. Though shepherding was considered an honorable prof profession, it was also recognized as being a very humble one. And if there's one thing you can't miss in reading the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that God always tends to refer to reveal himself to the humble. So, so maybe that's why God chose to reveal himself, his plans, his message, who he was and what he was doing. He chose to reveal all that to humble shepherds. He, here's the wonderful truth that is such a powerful reminder every Christmas. 
As you understand who God is, you begin to understand who you are. And when you truly understand who you are, you will not be proud or, or obsessed with your own sense of, of importance, but you will be exceedingly grateful. Because who are you? You are God's child. You are a unique, one-of-a-kind expression of God's infinite love and creative goodness. When we forget that, when we forget we are God's child, when we detach ourselves from that reality, detach ourselves from God, well, we will forever be trying to figure out who we are. We'll be trying to find ourselves. We will be trying to invent ourselves. We'll be trying to promote ourselves and make a name for ourselves because we deeply want to be somebody, not really understanding that we already are somebody. I, I have a grandson. Here's a picture of him. Let me go ahead and put that up. I know, I couldn't resist. Um, there are no words to fully express how much I love this person and, and, and delight in him and how very proud I am of him. Even though he has yet to achieve anything of any real significance or notoriety in life, and, and despite the fact he's almost 15 months old now, and yet I am crazy about this person. Why? What makes him somebody to me? his talents and abilities, his achievements and successes, his knowledge and his education. I mean, <laughs> he is totally inept when it comes to any practical skills. He, he completely fails at even the most minor of household repairs. <laughs> he, he's never even successfully taken out the garbage or swept the floor, though he's tried both of those things a handful of times. Intellectually, he, he can barely, barely articulate anything close to, to resembling a coherent worldview. I mean, uh, and whenever we play Trivial Pursuit at home, always comes in last. It's kind of like he, he almost knows nothing. And yet I am absolutely crazy about him, as are his parents, who I'm sure would argue that they are even more crazy about him than we are. All these people so in love with this little person who can't even tie his shoes. What makes him somebody? Well, his parents, our son Tyler and his wife Faye, would be quick to answer that what makes him somebody is the fact that he is their son. Jenny and I would immediately answer what makes him somebody is the fact that he is our grandson, our son and daughter-in-law's son. But far more importantly and far more significantly, God would chime in. Yes, yeah, he's all those things. It's completely true and valid. But God would say what makes him somebody most importantly is that he is my child, God would say. He is my child, a unique, one-of-a-kind expression of my love and creative goodness. And Jenny and I, Tyler and Faye, wholeheartedly acknowledge that glorious and wonderful reality and, and are so grateful that God entrusted to us, primarily, of course, to Tyler and Faye, but somewhere in that thing, also to Jenny and I, entrusted us with the gift of this precious little somebody. 
Now, I know some would say, yeah, but someday he'll be 17, and, and if he's still at 17, still a, unable to tie his shoes and articulate a coherent worldview, well, well, then, then, then what? Then what? He, he will cease to be somebody? Only to those who have forgotten who they really are and forgotten what makes them, they, themselves, somebody. See, God in his grace and generosity gives us all various gifts, abilities, talents, and assignments, you know, things that as we carefully steward them, they enable us to humbly serve him, God, and humbly serve one another. But those things do not make us somebody. They don't make us who we are. We tend to forget that. If we were ever to lose those gifts, abilities, and talents, and one day every single one of us will, we don't stop being who we really are. No, we don't. What makes us who we are is the glorious fact that we are God's children made in his image and likeness, each one a unique and special expression of his love and creative goodness. Maybe that's why Jesus said, unless you humble yourself and become like a child, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The shepherds that Christmas night saw the kingdom of heaven when most of the world missed it entirely. As they busied themselves with their pursuits, you know, the noble, the, the sophisticated, the wealthy, the powerful, the famous, the influential, influential, none of them even saw or even noticed. But God reveals himself to the humble and the hungry. God, God himself, the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the cosmos, came into our world in the humblest means imaginable. Why? Why did God enter our world in the form of a humble human infant born in poverty to humble parents of little means or notoriety? Perhaps it was in part to remind us who we really are and what really makes us human and where true significance and purpose and authentic worth and value really comes from. Not from ourselves, not from one another, but from him and him alone. Let me close with this short little Christmas monologue written by the Christian group for King and Country. It's remarkable to think that a baby born in a stable no prestige, no privilege, no social media or social status, political campaigns or private airplanes, and yet he turned B.C. into A.D. He flipped the world on its head. He's the most famous name around the globe, inspired the most red book ever written. He connected us to heaven and in turn brought heaven down to earth. And now he offers us redemption, a fresh start, freedom, that every woman and man and boy and girl 
to all of us who feel like we have nothing left, nothing to bring, we can know that God is smiling at us, that he's loving us, that we are enough. So light up that Christmas tree. Stand under the mistletoe. Surround yourself with those you love the most. And together, let's celebrate the greatest news this world has ever known.